Welcome to the Adipose, the voice of the Wild Steelhead Coalition. For over 20 years, we've been working to protect wild steelhead and their home waters, advocate for science-based policy, and educate and inspire our fellow anglers to take action on behalf of these incredible fish. It's no secret wild steelhead are struggling throughout their native range, but we believe anglers have a key role to play in their recovery. Restoring their populations is going to take new thinking, new investments, and some tough decisions. We believe that being a steelheader in the 21st century comes with a profound responsibility to be advocates and conservationists with the same dedication, commitment, and passion that drive us as anglers. The Adipose is a place for us to tell those stories, host important conversations, and share news and science supporting our advocacy for the rivers and the fish that mean so much to all of us. We hope you'll join us. At the WSC, we've always taken the coalition part of our name seriously. The community surrounding Wild Steelhead is filled with dedicated anglers, scientists, conservationists, and advocates, all of whom have been inspired by these incredible fish and their native waters. When we set out to build Now or Never, we reached out to this community to learn what motivates their work and what they want to see protected for the future. Some of these conversations took place over the phone or online but many took place during a 3,000-mile road trip through Steelhead Country in the fall of 2020. We recorded great conversations and can't wait to share them with you. But for the first episode of The Adipose, we thought it made sense to start with some fishing stories. After all, chasing and encountering a wild steelhead is the common spark that started most of us on our journey as anglers and advocates and keeps us motivated to do the work. Every steelheader knows wild steelhead can change lives. We want to share some of our favorite stories of the first steelhead caught and even a few great ones about the last wild steelhead anglers were lucky enough to cross paths with. Let's jump into the past. First, Ed Chosino moved from California in 1994 to chase steelhead in the Pacific Northwest, and he's currently a board member of the WSC. I go to my local shop and they have all the 3M videos from the 80s, and they had Lonnie Waller's three vcr tapes on steelhead fishing so i bought those three videos and i watched them constantly through my entire school season down in central california my roommates would just get tired of them so when i graduated in central coast i moved up in 1994 to chase steelhead in up in washington seattle and the first four years i did everything lanny told me to do i Two swung, I swung two steps, I tried different flies, and you know, back then it was all single-handed stuff. I cut all my own heads and did taper heads and tapered uh, sink heads, and I had the whole system up, set up, and I just had no luck. One weekend, a buddy of mine says, hey, I'm going to go out to the coast. He's from California. He's like, I'm going to hire Scotty Struznik. And I was like, okay, great. October, we're going to go out and fish with Struznik. So I had never met him, and we show up, and the first thing is we park, and we walk through the dense forest it's fog and we're walking along a skid road and we bust through into like a secret hidden little trail down through the fog it's everything you could want right and i knew struznik he was this steelhead guide that was quiet and thoughtful he brought pruning shears with him to clean up different runs and get rid of low branches and that kind of stuff we walk out and the first thing he has us do is just stand there on the river and look at rocks and he's like look right there there's steelhead sitting right behind that rock. Even if they weren't there, I was completely imagining seeing the water move, right? Because the steelheads were there. And the other great thing is 
he took the entire equation out of flies. It was either a black woolly bugger or a red woolly bugger. That's all you could use with him. You couldn't use anything else. And in that weekend, I caught seven fish, and it was life-changing. Now, later in life, I learned those were Kalawa hatchery fish, but at the time, it didn't matter to me. I got totally hooked. And I fished with, with Scotty for six seasons. Uh, I met his son, Gray. He was probably eight or ten uh, playing, like, video games in the house when we'd go back to the house and have drinks. The wonderful thing was on this project, I got to come back, and I'd met Gray maybe five years ago again. And when we did the interview with Gray for this project, uh, Scotty was there. And so I hadn't seen Scotty in 15 years. So it was really wonderful to go hang out and go see his fly tying room and his big pile of polar bear and all this stuff. And he gave me some salmon fillets and blueberries and stuff to take home. It was really awesome to kind of reconnect um, that way through this project. So, yeah, it was pretty special. You have one one of the better first steelhead stories on the swing <laughs> that, that I've ever heard. And I'd love for you to share it. Grace Drusnick is the second generation fishing guide in his hometown of Forks, Washington, where he operates his own guide service. Oh, man. Oh, uh, yeah. So I came home from one of the summers working in Alaska. And at that time, I still messed around with uh, gear fishing still in was dabbling in the fly fishing side of things, but it was mostly in Alaska. And I had went down to the Klawa River and was fishing my gear rod with some spoons. And I looked down and saw this guy fly fishing way down river. And I could see like the line silhouetted. I know it sounds it sounds cliche, but, but it was so it's it was totally how <laughs> it's totally how it happened. <laughs> right. So I could see all the way down this long straight stretch and then on the corner the the fly line going back and forth and uh I walked down there because I was like, oh cool, I'll go talk to this guy. And it ended up being my dad. And he let me throw his rod around a little bit and that night I went home and I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna catch one on a fly. So I put the gear rod down and that was kind of the pivotal moment that you know, I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pick up the gear rod again until I get one. And it took me like two weeks of it every day going down there. I was grinding, right. trying to get one. And it was really low water in the fall. And then we finally got a bump of rain and I went down there and couldn't cross this tail out that I normally fish from the other side. And, um, somehow got this cast out and it went laid out across the river and a fish grabbed it and jumped out of the water, sprung out, made like two or three tail slaps in the air, and I just saw my fly come flying out of its mouth. I <laughs> <laughs> was like, it was like heartbreaking right there. I right. was like, I'm going home to get my gear rod, basically. And I went home, geared up for the next day, went back down there, was able to cross the tail out, and I ended up getting a fish. And when I landed it through, through all of this, I'll back up a little bit through all this. My dad had been kind of showing me a little bit here and there, you right. know, like this, you should use this fly. You should use this leader, this length of leader. You should do this. You should do that. But like never actually like taking me down there. And <laughs> just giving you bits and pieces exactly, of information. Exactly. Right? So, so when I went down there and I got, I, I was swinging the tail out and I got this fish and landed it. I was just, I mean, I was just shaking like everybody's first steel head. You're, you're going crazy. And I look up on the bank across from me, and there's this high bank, and my dad and his buddy were standing there uh, looking down at me. 
and I like looked up at him for this like, you know, approval or whatever it was, and right. he kind of gave me the nod and the smile. But then he said, "The fishing must be good if you <laughs> caught one." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, great." Rich Sims is a lifelong angler in the Pacific Northwest and a founding member of the Wild Steelhead Coalition. Actually, wrote a story about it. It was. Uh, I call it the summer of love. It was 1969, and I was at a small creek near our house. There's two small creeks. Uh, we lived at our place on the property, and then there was a creek on one side, and there's a creek on the other side. They both emptied into Liberty Bay and Puget Sound. And I was down there one day with a friend of mine, and I walked down. There was kind of a culvert hole, and I looked down, and I saw a steelhead, it was a nice, you know, little one salt, probably about 22, 24 inches, sitting there finning in the tail out. I was all excited, and at that time I was just using a worm, and I just drifted the worm down towards the fish, and the fish came over and took it. It was like something I never experienced, you know. I got it, and I remember, not that I was so proud of myself catching it, but I remember what striking me the most was the beauty of the fish. I remember looking at every spot. I remember looking at just the very slush blush of its lateral line and mm -hmm. just the blush on the cheek. And I can still picture that fish to this day. And from then on, it just was something that I, I love to do. Yeah, first steelhead I caught was, uh, was on gear. Dylan Tomina is a Patagonia fly fishing ambassador, father, writer, conservation advocate, and a recovering sink tip addict, but not necessarily in that order. My parents divorced when I was, I think I was nine, and I lived with my mom, and my dad was, you know, 800 miles away or whatever, and I was crazy for fish. So every Sunday, my mom, who was then, she was in grad school herself, would take Sunday and drive me wherever I wanted to go to fish. So I had a day to fish, and I would plan it all week and look forward to it, and Saturday night I couldn't sleep because we were going fishing. But she didn't know anything about fishing, so she would drive me somewhere and then sit in the car and study, and I would just, like, go down the bank. And so I fished for a year for steelhead without catching one. Like, wow. just had no clue. And so I, I was so obsessed. Like, I, all I wanted to do was catch a steelhead. That was, like all I thought about. And uh, so finally, after a year of this, she called uh, Andy Landforce, who was a really, he was probably sort of the top steelhead guide in Western Oregon at that time. And um, he guided on the river that was near our house. And she called him and said, look, my son's totally obsessed, but he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Dylan, Dylan like, needs some help. <laughs> yeah, he needs, he needs some serious help. Can we hire you? And he said, well, he's booked for the year. But if he has a cancellation, he'll call. And so then, I, like a month later or something, he called and said, hey, I have a cancellation. Can you go? And so this is after a year of Sundays of not catching steelhead. And we went, put the boat in the river at the chicken house boat ramp on the Alsea River, mm -hmm. uh, floated probably 50 feet. He put the anchor out. I made a cast and bam, got a steelhead like that. Let's transition to the last steelhead caught. Interestingly enough, no one interviewed back in 2020 is reflecting on the possibility that the last steelhead they caught might be their last for a while. It would be interesting to re-interview some of these individuals today. Maybe we will save that for a future podcast. But let's pick up where we left off with Dylan Tomina reflecting on a beautiful fish from the Olympic Peninsula. 
So anyway, so last year, January, it was the end of January, we had a big flood, and uh, I drove over there with my then girlfriend. We got up, drove over to uh, to Fisher Run on the Solduck, and we got there, and I thought, oh, God, it's out. Like, I mean, it was high. It was running through the bushes. Right. And uh, we're like, well, you know, we drove two hours to get out here. We may as well fish, you know. So, um, so we went down to a spot that I've caught fish in high water before, and I thought this will work, but... Um, there was no bank and the bottom of every swing was going into all the wild roses and stuff that were three deep, three feet deep <laughs> right. in the water. Uh, and it seemed crazy, but I was like, all right, let's keep going. So I fished down, I fished down and, uh, I was right at my armpits on this steep bank in the pretty muddy water. I mean, it was still kind of green, but it was deep, like, you know, armpit deep water. Yeah. I'm casting with it over my head and trying to mend and hold it up high so that the water's not dripping over the top of my waders. And uh, way out there in a place that you just wouldn't even expect it, going 100 miles an hour, about a 16-pound buck just crushed it on the hard swing. Wow. And uh, <laughs> I was like, oh my. So, And I was talking, so my girlfriend at the time, she couldn't get in the water and fish there. It was too deep. She's like four inches shorter than me, and she couldn't. Do, right. So she was standing on the bank talking to me, and she was laughing because I looked so stupid trying to fish with my <laughs> arms over my head. And... Uh, when I started to get the grab, I could feel it like in my finger. I had the line under my finger like this. And I went, oh, my God, there's a fish. And she says, no way. And I set the hook and the fish came flying out of the water way out there. Whoa. Went down, downstream, and there was heavy flows. There was no beach to land it. We fought. I thought for sure we were going to lose it. But uh, we ended up landing it. And uh, it was probably the prettiest fish I've seen in years. It was one of those, uh, one of those really bright winter bucks. Um, but that's shaped like a snook, mm. you know, with the kind of big shoulders on it and the long snout. Yeah. Um, so beautiful. And and right as I was about to land it, a drift boat, a guided drift boat with gear fishermen came by going, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was a, that was great. Had the uh, perfect audience. and um, That's fun. You want to tell us a little bit about the last steel head you caught and your plan for the next? Oh, man. <laughs> My, well, I always plan for the next one. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, always work yeah. out that way. Jake Crawford is originally from Colorado. After completing his master's degree at Colorado State University, he headed to the Pacific Northwest with the single goal of chasing steelhead. Um, you know, every every steelhead is memorable. It's 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 really funny. The last winter steelhead that I caught um, was really. Um, it was a memorable moment for me because I was fishing on one of those rivers that you can still harvest them. Okay. And I was floating down with a, a couple friends of mine and we get to the spot, we're getting ready to fish and it's the end of a, you know, a long day of getting skunk. Nobody had any opportunity. And on the other side of the river, a bank angler, um, caught a fish, was out fishing um, caught a fish, lifted it up out of the water to show us because we, you know, we saw him fight it. It's this huge fish. It jumps. It's chrome bright, two tone. Wow. Um, fights it, runs, does all the things. He lands it, and we're like, woo, woo, you know. And right. he, so he holds it up, shows us, and you know, we're cheering him on. And then he takes it over to the bank, and boom. Ugh. And we were like, wow. And it was completely illegal. And that's okay, you know? 
And, and, and so I was like, well, hey, man, that means that there's some fish here, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> so I started fishing from the other side, and, like, it didn't take 10 casts for me to hook up and do all the same thing, but from the other side of the river. And uh, I ended up landing this, you know, eight or nine-pound, two-tone, chrome-bright hen that was traveling with that other male fish that he caught and harvested and i was happy that i caught the female right yeah. and i pick it up out of the water and show him and then release it and you know so like we like hey just showing you you know i can have a great time with my friends out here and so at the end of the day we floated back over the takeout was down below there and he sort of charged up and kind of came and talked to me and you know, it's funny. He's got Patagonia waders on, and and I'm just like, man, like, I'd think a guy like that, him and I would be on the same page. Sure. Not not to judge people, but I just thought, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna talk to him a little bit. And I said, hey, that was a nice fishy guy. He's like, yeah, you know, I like to come down and and catch my one fish a year and and harvest it. And and I'm like, yeah, I understand that, you know, but like, did you need to? Like, did that make your day? Like, right, it, like what if you couldn't do that? And like, would you still enjoy it? And I think when you're involved in really controversial issues like harvest or hatcheries or, you know, steelhead, people are really passionate about it and, and both sides of the aisle and it, and it helps to have human conversations with people that you maybe disagree with. And yeah, I love that you had the opportunity to connect with this individual. And, and what was his response? <laughs> Just, I think he was kind of embarrassed, you know, like, right. like not, I mean, he was proud, obviously, that he was walking out with his fish and it was a phenomenal fish. I would have, you know, paid like, you know, people pay a lot of money to catch that fish. Sure. And, you know, and I think for him to see somebody who was just as stoked and not walking home with something, um, hopefully you know changed his thinking about it a little bit and and again like i think you know maybe one day we could get to harvesting wild steelhead um but right now it is we don't have the numbers we don't have the the time the effort or the energy or the money to invest in it and so why jeopardize something like that what when we have so many examples all along the west coast you guys are on the steelhead tour right now and like how many ghosts have you guys been chasing? Like they, they don't exist in a lot of those places anymore. They don't. And so people who are down here who maybe they grew up here and they haven't traveled to these other places or they haven't talked with people in all these watersheds where they don't even have the opportunity to go and fish. I mean, that message just doesn't get to the people who, who, you know, don't have as big of a, a of a, ability to view that wide, you know, that wide. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny as a guide, everybody thinks that you just fish every day, you know. Jeff Hickman was doomed to a life of fishing addiction from the start. At 10, he taught himself to fly fish and tie flies and was hitchhiking to the river before and after school. Well, this year's a, a funny one with COVID and canceling the Dean season, um, but very fortunate to be working and have a, a kind of backup contingency plan and, and be able to, to guide here on the Deschutes, just like I used to seven years ago. I used to, you know, spend my summer and, and fall guiding the Deschutes uh, before we bought Kimsquit Bay Lodge. Um, so this year we came out to the Hood River. Before I started doing day trips, I, I just ran the family upriver in the jet boat. And uh, it was, you know, just a fun day. I brought a, brought a rod and 
um, brought brought my waiters, but just drove up in shorts with the family just to take my son, my four-year-old son, and on a jet boat ride, and pulled into a spot, and he said, Dad, catch me a steelhead. So I said, okay. I walked up to the head of the run, and I made about four casts and caught one. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, I wish they could always be that easy. but yeah, uh, if you could just catch them on command yeah, like that, so that's we, pretty amazing. Yeah, so he asked <laughs> me to catch one and went up and caught one. He came up and to check it out, and, and he's like, I got to pee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let it go, though, and I was like, well, that was a lot easier than I expected, and uh, we cruised back down river. So that was the last steelhead I caught. So this is awesome. So the last steelhead I got was a hatchery summer run out of the Kalawa River. John McMillan is the science director for Trout Unlimited's Wild Steelhead Initiative. He was raised on the Washuga River, where he was first introduced to fly fishing. Two months ago, uh, came home to the barbecue that night. And, uh, you know, that was the first steelhead because, right, our river's closed up here due to COVID in March. And so this has literally been for the last, I mean, I'm 49 now. This is the longest period that I've gone with only catching one steelhead since I was 11. Crazy. So seven, eight months, seven months, one steelhead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was really happy to get it. It, it tasted good. And, and my next plans are, you know, that's a good question. I think the interior Columbia probably in the fall, right? I think there's been a little bit of an uptick. And even though the fishing isn't great, yeah, <laughs> not much. Right. It's actually going only going back to the shitty year that was previous to the really shitty year, right? right so it's still right. a shit year. Comparatively speaking. Yeah, comparatively like... speaking. I'm talking to my friends and they're like, man, it is not very good in the Columbia. But, you know, every year I have a, a place that I go back to regardless of the run size. And, and there are a couple of years that I just don't go because I felt – um, but regardless, and I just, you know, put on the waders in a backpack and, and hike down and camp and um, just be alone, you know, just sit under those stars because I think what I love in that late October, November period is that we've got salmon here on the west and the salmon are starting to spawn. They're here, you know, but the coho and the chinook are getting, you know, the chinook are dark by then. They're spawning. The coho are getting red. So it's a time of death kind of on the West End, right? They're spawning, but that's why I love to go to the interior. It's like those beautiful nights, you know? It's yeah. just cold, crisp, beautiful, and you see all the stars. Yeah, yeah, right? Just excellent. a good drink and some good food and a friend or two, and you're just like, yeah, it's an awesome time. And we wrap this episode with Rich Sims' last steelhead. Actually, it was February, and I decided to go out by myself and do a solo run. I walked into one of the upper rivers, a little section that I know of. I was, it was, it was kind of relatively low and clear, not too bad. Mm -hmm. And I came to this one spot where I've, about three years ago, I hooked a really hot fish, probably one of the hottest winter fish I've hooked in a long time. It was one of those nice. where it was just a grab and go and I was immediately in my backing. You know, and those I'd, are always I'd, fun. I'd, I'd, I'd swear it was like, did you take a wrong turn from the Dean or something? You right. know, I mean, where did you, you come know, from? Like, <laughs> you know, it was a nice fish. It was about 13 pounds, you know, just chrome bright buck. And then, um, so I knew this run. And even the week after I took my friend, Brian Bennett, 
up there and stuff. I said, you go sit, stand right here and just swing over those rocks. It's really shallow through there. You know, you can kind of see the rocks in there. Right. I said, only use a type three tip and don't mend. Just let it swing. Right. Mm-hmm. And he made like three casts into it and he just got tatered he ended up breaking it off, but no way. You know, so he's a little heartbroken, but <laughs> right. you know, that's, that's okay. But he was like, man, you called it. <laughs> I bet <laughs> that was fun to watch. Yeah, it was great. Cause I saw the whole thing kind of tighten up and everything, but like, so anyway, this, I came into this run and of course I threw it out there and swinging through and I got down towards the end of it. And I just had one of those grabs where it just eked a little bit of line off the reel. And I'm just like, oh, man, I missed it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know how it is with a winter fish. It's like, you know, you rarely get, you know, they hardly, they never come back. It right. Like. Not typically you're a comeback fish. You're kind of looking fish. at the sky just like, well, there was my chance. Right. right. And you're just kind of like lamenting about it. And so I just took my fly, took, it was a bright fly. So I put a dark one, I put a blue and purple on and, and put it right back out there and swung it through there and right in the same spot that fish grabbed it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Adipose. Most importantly, we hope you heed the call and join the growing number of steelhead advocates, anglers, and conservationists who are fighting to ensure a better future for our wild steelhead and their home waters. It is now or never for wild steelhead. The time has passed for those of us who care about these rivers and wild fish to only go fishing. In the 21st century, a steelheader must fight for these fish like no other previous generation. We're inspired by the resilience of wild steelhead and the proven ability for ecosystems to heal. Our work is to give them the chance they need to thrive. Thanks for joining us today. Please be sure to subscribe to the Adipose podcast and take a minute to rate, review, and share. We would appreciate it, and it will help ensure more anglers and advocates hear our message. Learn more about our work and sign up for updates at our website, wildsteelheadcoalition.org and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Wild Steelhead Coalition.